Today on City Cash Chicago, it's that time for a little weekly rewind. To help us look back, we got WBEZ education reporter Sarah Carp and Injustice Watch editor Jonah Newman. It's Friday, August 26th. I'm Jacoby Cochran, and this is City Cash Chicago. Yeah, it's it's my dog. Let me go. Let me go uh, get her to shut up. I'll be right back. Actually, you know what, too? I'm going to go do something, too, really quick. <laughs> Take your time. Good morning, Jonah. Morning, Sarah. Welcome to CityCast. Good morning. Hey, I really appreciate y'all being here. Uh, over the last couple of weeks, we've been doing these neighborhood guides. Yesterday, we went to Beverly on the southwest side, and that's got me wondering, where are my weekly recap guests? Where do they stay in the city, and what's the place in their neighborhood they want to put me on? And so, Jonah, what's your neighborhood, and what's the place uh, in the neighborhood that you like to visit? Yeah, so we're in Wicker Park, um, and I've got a, a toddler, he's uh, almost two, and so we love exploring all the different playgrounds. Um, so our favorite, there's a there's Dean Playground Park, which is this little kind of pocket park tucked off, uh, you know, on a side street. Um, just one of those gems of, you know, Chicago parks. Mm-hmm. Always quiet somehow. Uh, seems like it's still, you know, uh, a hidden gem for most people, but uh, we love to go hang out there. Is your son a swing kid, a slide kid, a throw moach kid? What's they go to? All of the above. (laughs) All of the above, yeah. Uh, Sarah, what hood are you in and what's the place you like to stop by? So I live in Woodlawn. um, Okay, not too far from me. Yeah, and there's so many places that I love about my neighborhood. I'm like always out and walking around. But, um, you know, one of my favorite parts is being able to walk to Washington Park and walk around the pond there and um, and then also walk to Jackson Park and walk around the nature. There's two nature preserves mm-hmm. there. So, you know, it's it's kind of the, I, I feel like my neighborhood's the best kept secret and I don't want anybody to know. So they don't all move <laughs> here. But um, but we have a lot of great places to take a beautiful walks. For sure. I have lived in Wicker Park for a little bit of time as an adult. And at one point as a kid, I lived on 63rd and Green or 64th and Greenwood, uh, right in Woodlawn. And so being anchored between Washington Park and Jackson Park, you know, football in Washington Park, basketball at Jackson Park, you know, the, 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 both of those places hold um, a, a lot of great memories in, in my heart. And Sarah, I want to start with you. You've been on CityCast Chicago a whopping six times to help us talk about what's going on inside of Chicago public schools. And with this being the first week of schools, it was only right for us to bring you back. So, Sarah, what's that story you've been following this week? So I think one of the biggest stories that everyone's paying attention to is the bus shortage, um, Mm -hmm. the bus driver shortage, which has led to a lot of kids not getting bus routes. Now, if you'll think back last year, the weekend before school started, hundreds of parents got noticed that their kids did not have bus routes. And, mm-hmm. you know, it was it was really sort of jarring because, you know, while people had heard, you know, about this bus driver shortage, there was no indication that so many kids were going to be left without bus routes. Now, all last year, it took, it took months and months up until like April before 
they were able to get um, all the kids routed. About 3,000 kids weren't routed until after Christmas. This year, they, they've been trying really hard to build up their the numbers. But yesterday, um, the CEO of CPS said that there's still 1,200 kids that don't have routes, but he promised that he'll get them routes um, by Labor Day. And also, he said that um, that there's 365 kids who are on the bus for 90 minutes or more mm-hmm. one way, which is pretty terrible. And he said that they're going to start trying to lower those bus routes by, um, he said, hopefully over the next month or so. So I got some follow ups because, like you mentioned, we've been dealing with this or have heard about this for at least a year. So I have questions about the different actors involved. One, first and foremost, the kids. What population of students is this impacting the most? So in the Chicago Public Schools, there's only three types of students that actually get like yellow bus service, you know, like a bus ride. And that's students who are in special education who have placements that are far away from their homes that are not their neighborhood schools. And that's usually because, you know, like that other school is, has the type of service that they need. Mm -hmm. And then homeless students get bus service. And then also if you go to a magnet or selective enrollment school and you live between 1.5 and six miles away from that magnet or selective enrollment school, you get bus service. So altogether that's, um, you know, it differs every year, but it's around maybe 16,000 to maybe 18,000 a mm-hmm. year. So the fact that 1,200 are still not routed, it's, you know, it's a pretty big percentage, yes. but, you know, they still do have a lot of kids that are that are routed. Mm-hmm. And I hear for students who have got on bus routes, some of them are enduring times up to an hour and a half, both to and from school. For, for the people who aren't able to get the route, what is CPS offering this start of school versus what they offered last year to parents? So last year they were scrambling. And I mean, there are literally, and I, I still hear that there are literally kids that did not go to school for months, like just did not have any way to get to school. And eventually I think some of them were allowed to do remote because we were still like kind of in this remote thing. CPS is offering parents um, stipends of $500 a month to to take uh to, for a parent to get their child to school so it's not you know p- particularly helpful to say well we'll give you five hundred dollars if you can't if, you know if you're not a stay-at-home parent or something of that mm-hmm. nature so yeah we're going to continue to follow this hopefully it doesn't take as long as it did last year to make sure everyone has routes but even then these like 90 minute wait times need to be addressed and for cps to still be you know in some respects using the exact same language they were using last year which is everybody's turning to the great resignation right there's a bus driver shortage well you knew this for 12 months if you haven't found the appropriate incentives if you haven't found the appropriate ways to to bring more bus drivers into the fold uh, it's hard for me to not see that as like a somewhat a failing of management. And, you know, one thing I want to say is that one of the big changes this year is that they put into policy that they're going to prioritize special education students and homeless students. And this is really important because you know Chicago is a school district of choice, right? And for elementary school students who choose to go to magnet and selective enrollment schools, they're not guaranteed bus service anymore. And a lot of their parents are just being told, like, you can get a free CTA card. And I think the big question there is, 
does that then limit the number of kids that will actually be able to go to like a selective enrollment elementary school or magnet school? From the schools that our students across the city are going to, to the correctional facilities they come in contact with. Jonah, I know there's a new investigation out from Injustice Watch that talks about the state of Cook County Juvenile Detention Center. Uh, can you inform us and bring us up to speed? So last year, uh, Cook County Chief Judge Tim Evans uh, convened a uh, blue ribbon committee uh, to look at the conditions and policies and procedures inside the Cook County Juvenile Temporary Detention Center, the JTDC. Um, that uh, committee was sort of a response to um, a report that had come out um, saying that the, the JTDC was, was overusing um, room confinement, basically locking kids in their rooms as, as punishment or kind of behavior management. So that committee um, finished uh, its, you know, its work and, and put together a report in May. Um, a couple weeks ago, uh, we got a copy of that report and, and started looking through it, asking questions of the chief judge's office. And the report is pretty damning. Um, it says basically kids at the JTDC are um, confined to their rooms for at least 13 hours a day, 12 hours of uh, quote unquote sleeping hours, which is 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. Um, though the, the report notes that, you know, few adolescents sleep for, for those hours, uh, as anyone who has teenagers knows. Staff are still using, you know, room confinement as a, you know, disciplinary tool. The experts that um, that the chief judge had, had put together on this panel um, said that the um, the JTDC is, is really a, a, an isolating and deprivational place um, and ultimately recommends that the county should dismantle this large uh, juvenile detention facility on the west side and, and basically reimagine uh, juvenile detention in Cook County by um, creating smaller community-based rehabilitative facilities um, for, for young people. When I was reading that, one, one of the things that really, um, you know, I was thinking about is that back when, like in the depth of the pandemic, when everybody was remote, I remember I got all this attendance information about, you know, like who was logging on and the, the school inside the juvenile detention center, which is called Nancy Jefferson had very low attendance. And, you know, I, I, and it actually even came up at board of ed meetings and it was, you know, so interesting because I mean, if there's one place where you'd think you'd have high attendance because they could be forced to log on, I mean, you're in, you're in a juvenile detention center. Um, and then they worked. But even since those pandemic restrictions have, have been lifted, um, they bring kids down to classrooms based on the, the pods or living units that they're on, um, which might have kids of all different grades and ages yeah. and, you know, academic levels. And so these kids are in classes not based on, you know, their academic needs, but based on the facilities, you know, um, housing needs. When I hear that committees are being formed across Chicago institutions, I always like approach it with a sense of doubt because at the end of the day, are recommendations going to be listened to, going to be met? Did they make it public soon after receiving it, or is this something you had to go digging for? Yeah, that's a great question. So I was honestly pretty skeptical when this committee was announced last year. Uh, the committee then uh, published its, uh, sent its report to the chief judge in May. Um, and as far as we can tell, he sort of sat on it for the last three months until we started, uh, got a copy and started asking questions and finally released 
um, released it publicly this week. In doing so, also said, okay, we're going to create a new committee to implement these recommendations. A new committee to look at the committee. A new committee to implement, an implementation committee, uh, they're calling it, to, to implement the the recommendations, although uh, he didn't specify exactly which recommend- recommendations they were going to implement. Uh, it's really heartbreaking when we talk about the resources, the institutions, the policies that come in contact with Chicago youth. They are often at their detriment, right? Whether we're talking about schools or whether they move through detention centers or the policies of how they can, w- what places they can be in the city and how long they can be there. Sarah, I'm going to come back to you. What was your second story that you wanted to talk through today? One of the stories that has really been fascinating to watch and heartbreaking has been the story, has been the R. Kelly trial that's been, you know, mm-hmm. go going on and you know you have all these layers of this guy being famous this guy having a lot of power then also you have this this young this young girl sort of caught in this and her parents you know sort of tied into him in such a you know mm-hmm. such intimate ways i think that you know it, it says a lot about sort of how we see celebrity culture you know and how we see underage sex i mean i think there's a lot of you know a lot of there where you're just sort of thinking about what was being allowed to be acceptable because because this guy was a celebrity. When I was a kid, I actually remember a teenager. I remember that my friends at Kenwood would say that he'd be driving around. Mm-hmm. I, I went to Lincoln Park, that he'd be driving around the school. And of course, it was very cool because he was, you know, in fancy cars, right? So that was impressive teenagers. <laughs> but I but but to watch this, this is, you know, just a very fascinating trial. And I think it's come full circle. So one of the things I was talking with my my brother and my mom about, especially coming up on the south side of Chicago, there's this there's this weird feeling so many of us feel as if we were all implicated in what was going on because of just how pervasive and widespread this rumor was. Like my step grandparents lived in Olympia Fields in the home in front of, like directly in front of the gate of the mansion that R. Kelly lived in for a very long time out in Olympia Fields. And I remember my mother saying to my little sister, my little cousin, don't go over there. Don't be close to his home. Don't don't be looking through his gate. Don't let him see you. And there was just this sort of open conversation that's been taking place for the last 25 plus years about this predator in our city. It really just kind of fills you with like the I don't think this word does it justice, but like the ickiest of feelings, because you can't help as a Chicagoan feeling like this was something that was a part of Chicago culture and the way it was so openly talked about, and yet you felt hopeless and powerless to do anything about it. I mean, it's been a black eye on the city for decades, but it, it just, it again, it continues, as you said, to show like the, the really insidious nature of celebrity. Oh man, Jonah, what is that story? You 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 opened with one committee that has made recommendations and and there are other committees in Chicago making recommendations that may or may not be heard. Which one is that? Yeah, so uh on on the theme of death by a thousand committees, I guess. Uh you know, so the uh <laughs> the monuments committee that Mayor Lori Lightfoot uh convened uh back in 2020 after the 45 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> uh after the um you know, conflict over the the Christopher Columbus statue um, 
came out with its report last week recommending that the city you know take down or or not put back up as the case may be uh, 13 um, monuments across the city. Um, and then the mayor said this week uh, that she wants to create a new committee to uh, study the recommendations of this uh, of this first committee. Seems like a, a trend among uh, among Chicago elected officials this week. Committee doesn't give you quite what you want. I'll uh, I'll come up with another committee to to look into it again. And again, when we hear these committees being put together, it seems that when they're put together, despite what they're selling to us, they already have the conclusions they're hoping to come to. It feels like the mayor was hoping they would tell her, add a placard to everything. Just update the text. Let people know in like the smallest font possible that Christopher Columbus raped and pillaged native communities. Just put that in like a typeface, but like leave his like hero iconic like bus just in the middle of, you know, some of the most visited parks in the city. It's not enough to just say, oh, this is Potawatomi land you're putting on across the river walk. Right. If you're going to continue to put the colonizers and the executors of those up in these hero like fashions, I feel like the Columbus statue in Arrigo Park is probably going to come back. It seems like the mayor is like setting up. How long can I just hold this off and then secretly put it back? I don't think Grant Park will. But uh, Sarah, have you I know you've seen some of these monuments. I think about all the young people that really fought in 2020 to get those to get all those monuments, you know, something finally happening. And these young people, you know, they, they said, listen, we know history and this history is not what we're proud of. And what, and it, and, and it hurt our, our people. And I feel like that's what we should have a monument to. Moving away from these stories, we like to leave the, uh, the city cast listeners with some good news. Oh, that felt good to get them through the weekend. Uh, and so I want to know what is y'all good news for the people? And John, I'm going to stay with you. What's your some good news? So yeah, I, I'm going with, um, sister Jean turning 103 this Come week. On. Um, man, that's just so impressive. And she's still kicking. She's still out there, you know, uh, with the Loyola Ramblers basketball team, giving them pep talks before every game. Uh, for people who might not be familiar, uh, Sister Jean is a huge basketball fan. You want to tell her story a little bit? Yeah, she's the she's the chaplain for the, the Loyola basketball team. She uh, sort of came into public fame uh, uh, during the um, their March Madness run a few years ago. Um, international fame she uh, apparently noted to a, a reporter who said you know she was a national icon she said no international they had stories about me in, in mexico <laughs> she's been out there cheering the team on giving them uh scouting reports about their opponents and uh and just being out there being a a, a great kind of team leader i believe they also dedicated the loyola cta train stop uh, in they her did. honor uh and so shout out to sister jean happy 103rd birthday to you uh, Sister Jean, man, she didn't seen a lot of different Chicago's. No kidding. Oh my God. Uh, Sarah, what's your some good news to get the people through the weekend? School started this week for Chicago public schools and a whole <laughs> bunch of other schools across the region. And, you know, it's, it's always joyful to see kids, you know, coming up to school and hugging their friends and the little ones are always crying because they miss their moms and, you know, it's just it just um, 
there's so much hope that comes with the first day of school and optimism mm-hmm. that you that this is going to be a great year. I mean, the CEO says this is going to be the strongest year ever. I'm, you know, I'm holding out my judgment <laughs> because that's, that's, you know, I don't know what I'm what parameter, but um, anyways, I, I do definitely feel like that's it's always joyful to see the starting of school and. You know, I think we all hope it does go well. If if I'm correct, is this your last first day of high school f- for your youngest? Yeah, this is senior year, my last day having a kid in the Chicago public schools. So yeah, it's it's kind of a, a moment. Um, I have to figure out what child I can kind of adopt so I can get all the emails and stuff and not be left out of the, the loop. I saw a great picture this week. I, I can't remember uh, which uh, great local photographer it was, but it was you know a bunch of, of parents peering into their kids' classroom from the outside. And you know I don't have a school age kid yet, but I, I definitely appreciate that. Uh, feeling of, you know, you've already dropped your kid off. You want to just check on them one more time, make sure everything's good. Um, just a, a classic, classic <laughs> I, I, first, peeking, peeking through, the, through window. the window, classic, classic first day of school, uh, image right there. That is beautiful. Uh, for me, my, some good news. There is a new event coming to the West side this weekend, this Sunday from 10 AM to 10 PM. And it's called the purple block party. It's going to be at the Garfield Park Musical Circle Center, a.k.a. The Circle, off of West Monroe and South Central Park Avenue. The person behind it, uh, you know, has worked on the West Side in advocacy and now being able to throw her own festival that will have food, celebration of dance, you know, some local artists and DJs, but also some, you know, some some rap staples like Jim Jones in the building. It's really cool to give some attention to the new events that are popping up in neighborhoods, especially ones like Garfield Park. Uh, so shout out to Brianna Gatlin. Shout out to the Purple Block Party. And if you're looking for some more Chicago events, some more things to do this weekend, always Go to our daily newsletter at chicago.citycast.fm. If you're not new to CityCast Chicago, my hope is it's already in your inbox at 6 a.m. Again, I want to thank Sarah Carp from WBEZ and Jonah Newman from Injustice Watch for joining me for a little bit of weekly rewind to talk about the stories that matter to them this week. I appreciate both of y'all so much. Thank you for having us. Thanks so much for having us. Noise. Before I let you go, you know I got to thank the people behind CityCast Chicago. That's lead producer Carrie Shepard, producer Simone Alisea, newsletter writer Sydney Madden, the people on the ones and twos, that's Sam Thousand, all the kimonos, Mark Greenberg at the Mayfair Workshop. As always, my last thank you is for you. I appreciate you making CityCast Chicago a part of your daily, your weekly, or whenever you got some time routine. It means a lot to us. I'll talk to you next Monday. Peace. And the best damn host of the best damn podcast in the best damn city in the world, Jacoby Cochran. Make some noise, everybody. (sighs) 